welcome to episode 85 of Friends of Film, a podcast that takes new news and theatrical releases. On this episode, we'll cover Molly's Game's first trailer, Star Wars spinoffs, Batfleck family drama, and more after review Logan Lucky. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and iTunes by searching Friends of Film. As always, I'm your host, Grouper Hood, once again joined by a man whose summer is officially over, Josh Straley. And they're playing trumpets in the distance. I think it's taps. Do, 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 do. Are, you, are you ready to go back to school at all? No, not at all. No, but I'm, it's the home stretch. That's right. Yeah, three not three semesters straight. I'll be good. I'll be done. And I'll be ready to you know enter the the workforce and, and such. And you're taking like some movie production classes, correct? Film production classes, writing, and just for the heck of it, American poetry. Because Alrighty. I don't know anything other than Shakespeare. So. <laughs> figure it out so in the coming months josh will become an expert on lighting setups and all that <laughs> yeah. good stuff so sure. <laughs> you can point all that stuff out in future reviews but maybe not this week as mm-hmm. we are going to review logan lucky the latest film from steven soderbergh uh if we get into spoilers i'm not sure if we will or not there will be a timestamp in the description of this episode so you guys can skip ahead and get into the news segment where we got a bunch of good stuff to talk about this week as always but this week it is my turn to start the review and i'm going to Start off, but just simply saying that this is just a really fun and enjoyable heist film. Like Steven Soderbergh does it once again. Uh, I rewatched Ocean's Eleven this week just in, in anticipation of this film. Uh, one of one of the one of the best heist films I've ever seen. I, I love mm-hmm. Ocean's Eleven just with the ensemble and everything. This doesn't have quite the uh, expanded ensemble for the actual job because it's actually just a pretty tight knit group. And I was in, I was wondering if they're going to ever expand it beyond just Channing Tatum and Adam Driver, the Logan brothers. And they didn't really. They brought in their sister a little bit, played by Riley Keough, and then a couple other guys. Um, but with the Logan brothers specifically, I thought Tatum and Driver were both really solid leads. Yeah. Um, both showed some. Uh, comedic chops which I, I knew Tatum had driver not as much his was kind of just deadpan humor but mm-hmm. still worked in a lot of cases yeah. and just in terms of because I don't think this is a new franchise or anything but both of them are attached to different franchises and I think showed in interesting ways their skill sets in each of those with you know Tatum signed up to be Gambit and Gambit ISIS throwing card abilities and everything and there's like one of the first scenes we see with Tatum. He just like chucks a construction hat behind him, ricochets off uh, one tub, closes it, and lands perfectly yeah, the other one. Yeah. I was like, that's like a gambit move right there. And then I found it ironic that Kylo Ren was missing an arm, <laughs> even though he has both arms in Star Wars. But, you know, maybe that's foreshadowing to the future. And <laughs> Steven sure. Soderbergh has the inside knowledge because, you know, Star Wars loves to do that kind of stuff. But as far they were both really good in the film, but nobody could compare to Daniel Craig him as Joe bang. Oh, yeah. uh, a, one of the greatest names I've ever heard. Um, yeah. B, he has one of the greatest combinations to make a bomb I've ever seen. I don't know if it is actually scientifically true. Any of the stuff he says of how it actually works, the combination mm-hmm. of gummy bears and, uh, <laughs> like uh, bleach gel. Yes. But it sounds, it sounded right, I guess. And it <laughs> just a very unique way to pull off that kind of a job where, they're doing this highest uh, breaking in during the biggest NASCAR race of the season and everything that goes wrong could like everything that could go wrong goes wrong for them, mm-hmm. but they still manage yeah. to try to pull it through. And, uh, you know, those three guys, obviously the front and center of the movie, but as I mentioned, Riley Coe, Katie Holmes, Jack Quaid, Brian Gleason, Catherine Watterson, Sebastian Stan and Hillary Swank 
all were really good and limited to supporting roles. Um, I didn't even recognize that it was Jack Quaid until I looked at the credits and I was like, wait, that's the Hunger Games guy. Yeah. <laughs> that's this, It was such a different turn for him that I didn't expect him just playing like this hillbilly uh, like they, little brother. They really went into the their roles on that one because I didn't even think about it too until I was writing up my uh, review. Yeah, and uh, it was a little, going off of the Oceans movies, it was a little slower pace than I expected mm-hmm. because those ocean movies are quick and snappy and with, with their dialogue, but also their cuts and it's, it's, it, it constantly moves. This one starts and it takes a while to get into the actual heist or even find out why they're pulling the heist, what heist they're going to be pulling. Um, and a lot of that was just setting up Chan Tatum's character with his relationship with his daughter and kind of, you know, all of their life circumstances, this unlucky Logan curse that, you know, Adam driver continues to talk about. Mm-hmm. And, so that that hurts it a little bit in my mind because it was it did probably take you know probably twenty minutes or so to kind of really kick into high gear, um, and then once the heist is finished, there's another like twenty minutes of the movie of Hillary Swank getting involved investigating the heist, the fallout of the heist, and then you kind of figure out in you know the classic Soderbergh way what actually went on, and that also felt like felt like the post a very elongated post credit scene of like the movie already ended, but here's, here's like an explanation or or an epilogue to it. But Mm -hmm. uh, still throughout it, it was very funny. Surprisingly, not that it it's against Soderbergh's nature, but I was laughing more than I thought I was going to, especially uh, with a, a scene that's related to a bear in the woods. Uh, It was just so strange (laughs) that I, I was just, I was laughing out loud and my theater wasn't packed, but I, I was definitely laughing the hardest. I don't know if anybody else was laughing, but uh, it was just so dumb, but also just hilarious that I was just like, this is, Mm -hmm. this is great. It was, it was one of the best, it's maybe my favorite scene of the film. Um, But yeah, I mean, obviously like I talked about, there's also like the great kind of like the quote unquote reveal or twist of like, okay, you guys saw the heist from this perspective, but here's how it actually went down. Like with oceans 11, you're like, wow. Like I was kind of waiting for it. I was like, man, this, it can't end like this. It can't play out this way. Mm -hmm. And it obviously doesn't. And the way they kind of pull everything off, they pull off the heist. It, it, it all folded together really nicely in a really great way. So I left on a high note, uh, really enjoyed my time in the theater. I'd give it four ticket stubs out of five. Oh, wow. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah. So this is like, this is Soddenberg's first movie out of retirement. Mm-hmm. I didn't even know he quote unquote retired. <laughs> right. But yeah, he comes back to do kind of a redux of his Oceans movies, um, but turns the script around a lot. I mean, this is like, this is, this is like a in totally independent film. I didn't realize like the lengths that him and his team went through to you know avoid any studio or marketing decisions being made by anybody other than themselves Mm. it was really cool uh and like all of that said knowing that i really like this movie too um makes it awesome yeah i mean like instead of giving us characters with like you know inch deep backstories like the oceans movies do we get a much more sentimental turn with this as we move from 
West Coast to the East Coast. Because this takes place in West Virginia. Yes. Not uh, Alabama, where I thought. They <laughs> shot it there, though. But anyway, everyone's everyone's Southern accent is as is, is great as that, you know, I could have, or anyone probably could have asked for. I, I saw some complaints about it. Yeah. <laughs> but you know what? Totally viable. And that never takes you out of the movie. Um, not only until you see Katie Holmes is like, tw- you know, twang. But that, yeah. that was a little bit like, wait a minute. But then you buy it and you're great. Um, and yeah, like, you know, th- from the very beginning, you realize it's not a typical Soddenberg, you know, flashy thrills movie with this, I mean, immensely long prologue of Channing Tatum explaining to his daughter why he loves John Denver music so right. much. You know, Take Me Home Country Roads is having a year this or is having a year. Um, first popped up in Alien covenant oh yeah yeah uh with danny mcbride and then it finds its place here maybe and, it's just know, a Catherine waterson thing <laughs> that's that's true it could be <laughs> uh but yeah you know it was a great it was a great sweet opening and chenning tatum is circling an oscar worthy role here because really? he plays he plays a jimmy with like this stoic but earnest compassion uh that sort of like his 22 jump street character but dialed back and used for sympathy instead of laughs and you know watching him and adam his brother adam driver who like you said does excellent deadpan um and you know i thought it was really cool that he played a vet and because he actually is a vet too oh really yeah i did not know that um but anyway yeah he just like the way that his can-do attitude lines up with um Shoot, what's his name? A driver's character. Uh, but yeah, I can't remember. Whatever. But that that pairing is really uh, is really awesome. As they you know they go through and cross their list off of what makes a great heist. Um, and yeah, so that said, you you touched on it already. Joe Bang and Daniel Daniel Craig going from suave Englishman to you know the, the complete opposite of well, not even the complete opposite because Joe Bang is so locked in and so focused as like. He, you know, throws out there how you make a perfect, like, bleach pen bomb or, you know, mm-hmm. like, things like that. You're like, this guy is a loon, but he's a genius. And it made for the perfect fit, you know. And then the the entire apparatus around getting him out of prison and um, it led to, I think, my favorite laugh line was, you know, the, they're making their demands. And they're like, oh, the we, want the, thing? Yes. <laughs> we want the new Game of Thrones book. They're like, <laughs> Well, it's, it's not and then you, this that was, like it's not out yet yeah exactly <laughs> he said it was gonna be out it's like well the show's ahead and they're like oh come on yeah and they all just like <laughs> turn was, around it was such a surprising uh a beat for that movie to draw yeah. i loved it um but yeah like you know like you said though i think i tried to coin a term early on called oceaning back when we did yes. the king arthur review mm-hmm. and this movie kind of it, th- it jettisons that a bit, a and bit. up until we get to Hillary Swank, of course. Um, but we watch the plan play out in real time, and that was fun because of all the problems that they're running into and all the, the common solutions and things like that. None of these people were, you know, super con artists like you know a George Clooney, Brad Pitt, Matt Damon pairing. They were just like. All right, so how will we get past this? And then you just methodically move their way through it. And then when you come up to the end and have Hillary Swank, you you see things shift and you're like, oh, it's sort of like, you know, someone's at a bar telling you a story mm-hmm. and, you know, it's not a, like a fishing story, you yeah. know? The, the, truth is, the truth is in there somewhere, but the details, you know, the devil's in the details, uh, which is just absolutely awesome. Um, let me see, yeah. And I, I just, like you said, it was 
a thoroughly enjoyable movie after blockbuster after blockbuster that came out and hit us this summer that just almost had no harder soul to it. Um, and I, I, I thought it was absolutely fantastic and I'm going to give it four out of five tickets up as well. Alrighty. Yeah. If, uh, it w- it would not crack my top 10 that we did last week, but it definitely would have been one of my honorable mentions and right, right up there mm-hmm. next to making that list. Cause it was just super enjoyable. And, uh, I mean, do you have any spoiler stuff you want to get into or, I, I mean, yeah, I mean, well, the only thing to really talk about is Swank's role in it. Right. And that's the introduction and then what ends up with her being, I guess, so spoilers. Then Sure, yeah, yeah we'll, we'll we'll do spoilers for, for here on out. I don't know how much longer we'll go, but yeah, from here on out, spoilers on Logan Lucky. Okay, yeah, um, which would be, oh, you know, her, the fact that she realizes that the plan that we see unfold on from the Logan Brothers side, uh, it's not exactly 100% truthful. It's sort of like the tall order mm-hmm. of what happens. And she kind of realized, like, she deciphers how it all played out and then ends up which this is the part i'm unclear about is she's either dissatisfied with her job at the fbi and wants to go join them or she's undercover at that bar and she's trying to infiltrate them it, it's it, it where did know. you land on that it, it i landed where she was kind of like all right well screw the fbi you guys can t- or like screw nascar you guys can tell me oh we're satisfied we're good I'm still going to look into this anyways. And then mm-hmm. if I find evidence, I'll report it. So yeah. I don't think, I mean, maybe she was going to try to get in with them and then try to figure it out that way. But uh, it was a very kind of like Ocean's eleven ending with all of them sitting around a bar and like <laughs> they're all coming around. And I did love that at the end, after we find out that, you know, the Logans did not actually give back all the money that they did, in fact, keep some, mm-hmm. that they like would give money to the people who are in jail and like we're in charge of throwing the, you know, the, uh, the jailbreak kind of thing and, you know, yeah. make like, setting the demands. And then they also gave one to like the birthday girl at the bank because they like ruined her birthday. You know, it wasn't her birthday. <laughs> it yeah. was like, all right, we're going to give you a birthday cake. Cause mm-hmm. I don't think she was in on it per se, but no, uh, like they gave her some money. They kind of gave everybody else involved. Then he donated money to Catherine Watterson's like uh, hospital on mm-hmm. wheels thing that she was doing. And uh, I just, I, I enjoyed that part. Cause it wasn't just like, all right, we did it. All the money's for us. They're like, all right, we kind of used you, took advantage of you. I just like you. Right. So we're going to do some handouts. And I, I liked that aspect of it instead yeah. of just them. Like, like you said, being like actual thieves, like real life criminals that are experts at this and just, all right, split it up 11 ways. It's ours. See you guys later. It was super um, Robin Hood-esque. Yeah. That's, that's, I think that's what I liked about it. And, but we have characters that we can empathize with, and they're mm-hmm. just so various and different that you know you can feel good about being involved or invested in their personal life. I'm like, no offense to you know George Clooney and his backstory, but it's just kind of like a boo-hoo thing. I'm like, dude, you're a criminal, okay? Right. <laughs> this is this is Channing Tatum being down out of his luck because of like, you know, really known fault of his own and things like that. Um and then like I I guess I do have to say before we go anywhere though, Adam Driver and his his artificial arm is I, did I, am, I the, am I the only one that laughed at that like more than probably possible? That he had one? <laughs> well, not that he had one, but just how they use it. They used it for comedy in like so many ways, especially when Joe Bang comes up with it yeah. in the backseat. Um, and then, you know, he's just treating it like it's his best friend and things like that. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 did, I did like that aspect of it. Um, but the other thing I want to mention before we get out of here and move on, 
early on we see, and kind of throughout the whole movie, we see that uh, Chan Tatum's character has this limp and this leg injury that ultimately gets him fired from the crew that he's working on to work with the NASCAR and do all the tunnel systems and everything. So he knows how to do all the money stuff. Did you at any point during like the big, like the reveal of like, okay, here's the actual events. Did you expect them to pull like an unusual suspects, like um, Kaiser Soche sort of thing and be like, the limp was all a fake. And it was like the long con to like yeah. get fired. Right. After y'all already knew about everything. Uh, no, I mean, no, like, because you, cause you watch Tatum throughout most of the movie too. And you're like, Oh, this is just an honest guy. Like, mm-hmm. you know, that's like disaffected or whatever. Yeah. And, at no point because because he didn't seem so mad like you know he didn't seem like he had it all he wasn't arrogant about anything he was doing it was all methodical mm-hmm. it was all um you know it looked like he was flying by the seat of his pants in some ways but just slowly it was yeah it was just like no i did not see that happening it, i thought about it for like I don't know, 30 seconds. Like, Oh, I wonder if they'll do that. Then I was like, eh, they probably won't do it. But if yeah. they did, I thought that would have been interesting as well. Just a further layer. But that, at that point it would have felt more like he was one of the oceans members and like really right. going into this like routine and this kind of like persona instead. He's just like, no, like I got fired from the job. You guys kind of screwed me a little bit. So I'm going to mm-hmm. get back on you. Yeah. And I love that Gary Gergich was <laughs> his boss. Yes. It was a good, that was a great, uh, that was a great little cameo, I guess. Like yeah, I mean, it was, it, was, it was very small. So, uh, any other thoughts on Logan Lucky before we uh, move on? The Ocean Seven Eleven joke was also that was that good. gave me a great laugh. And then I did feel like my heart was going to break when the entire uh, audience of the child pageant started singing uh, "Take Me Home Country yeah. Road" it's, uh, with along with the daughter. That was that like was, that super was a great sweet. moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was, I mean, it was a little ham-fisted, but but you know, I I love that song and I just thought it was awesome. Yeah, so. really really great moment there, and that was uh, again like that relationship between Chan Tatum and his daughter in the movie. Um, again, like you said, it there wasn't that emotional connection in the Ocean's movies. They still work mm-hmm. really well without that sort of stuff, but it was just kind of the driving factor that added a nice layer to the film throughout. So. That's all we got for a review of Logan Lucky, and we'll be right back in a bit with the news. And we're back with the news, and our first topic is our only trailer of the week, but the uh, pretty exciting one. Uh, especially for Josh, is a big Aaron Sorkin fan. Absolutely. His directorial debut, is Molly's Game, comes out later this year, and we finally have a first trailer for it. And I'm itching to know what you're thinking about uh, it. I, I, oh, okay, how about this? I don't think it's a great trailer, really. But I love I, I love the subject matter. Okay. I love what I see happening, but I I don't see the the pinnacle of the story in it. I mean, like you know, I'm just trying to. I'm worried about what happens when Aaron Sorkin's best and worst impulses collide on screen. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's making me nervous. I love seeing the rapid fire dialogue, the, the ambition from Molly, the, uh, the smugness of Idris Elba as he's like, okay, what's this dumb thing? that's you know, not dumb case that's come yeah. my way that I'm going to have to like look into. Maybe I see it all already, but she's like showing off mm-hmm. like, or letting him know, no, I've got, so much of this stuff. But then there's like these hints to the Russian mob and all this, like all this other stuff that gets like smashed into the end of it that tries to like ratchet up the tension. And I'm thinking, oh boy, 
if it's going to go, I don't know if it's going to go like that or if the, the th- main thrust of the story is going to be about this high, st- high, high stakes, illegal poker betting, uh, which the, picking Michael Sarafort though, I have to say mm-hmm. like, you know, to be a stand in for the celebrities that have gotten involved in it uh, was an awesome choice. But what, what, what did you think? Because I, I'm, I'm more of an, I'm an Aaron Sorkin fan, but I'm also a critic because uh, I mean, I, I like the guy so much, but I, I don't know. I, yeah. Yeah. Just, I you know. I really, really loved this trailer. Okay. Uh, I thought, it was edited really nicely. Like you said, it was very snappy in its dialogue, but also its editing had a nice beat to it throughout. I thought Chastain looked really great. Um, obviously, we never have Idris Elba and Michael Sarah and something that's going to elevate it. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not as big of a as I am a big fan of Sorkin and his work, but I am not a dedicated, like, diehard fan as, as I think you are. But I'm still super interested in his directorial debut and, uh, you know, I love poker. I love playing poker. I love watching movies about poker. And the fact that this is like the most underground of underground poker games of all time. Like I want to see that story play out. And it looks Mm -hmm. like Chastain is going to give a good performance. Uh, If she has great dialogue, as I assume from Sorkin's writing, it looks like there wasn't any sign of it that any of his rectorial choices so far would be like, ah, I don't know if those will work. I'm a little worried maybe about how they're going to play this story out because i think it could be one of those all right let me tell you about this event and Mm -hmm. here's part of it let's flash back sort of like uh, atomic blonde in a sense i hope that's not the case because it looks like idris elba already has like her book molly's game so unless that's the end of the movie i hope it doesn't start with that and he's okay i read your book i don't believe it tell me everything you can and she's like all right and then he keeps butting with questions if that's what they're doing i'll probably like it a little less than i hope i will but i mean for for first trailer for a movie that comes out in a couple months uh it definitely excited me yeah it's super reminiscent of the social network mm-hmm. that's 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 the my gut feeling from this right away um but yeah idris elbow looks like he like i said after the dark tower review this guy is not getting the roles he needs or deserves and watching him play like an evolved version of who he was in the wire uh, is, is really fun to see, especially because Sorkin's going to be putting those words in his mouth and, you know, uh, it'll hopefully elevate him a ton. And then Chastain as well, like being indignant across almost looks like every scene, especially when um, she's confronting, I don't even know the dude's name, but I don't know. I don't know what you're talking about. Her original personal assistant or the guy that she's a personal assistant for setting up the poker games. Oh yeah. I know you're talking about. I don't know his name or anything. Yeah, me neither. But yeah, so I, I am cautiously optimistic, but you know, it's, I'm just, I'm thinking of Steve jobs and about how all that film was, was just, you know, dialogue after dialogue and the plot just, yeah, didn't exist in there. So do you think that's all on Sorkin or you put any of that on Boyle? Cause he was the director on that one. Sorkin did wrote the three act play and went for it. And I think it tried to live. Well, it tried to, that movie tried to live off of the name of Steve. Yeah. Versus this being something extremely, uh, extremely cool. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll see. I just, <laughs> I, I want to love it. Yeah. I think I will, but just, didn't, didn't blow me away. Okay, fair enough. We uh, moving on to some superhero stuff uh, for a minute. We got word this week from Deadline that uh, Geneva Robertson Dwart has joined Captain Marvel to uh, 
basically finish the script, do a quick rewrite. Uh, we're not really sure exactly what level it is. All we know that former screenwriters Nicole Perlman uh, and Meg LaFoe, Perlman who did Guardians of the Galaxy, LaFoe who worked on Inside Out, uh, they have been writing the script for like a year, year and a half or something like that. They are both leaving now for LaFoe to direct, uh, I believe it's a Pixar uh, animated films, either Pixar, Ooh. Disney Animation. So she's co-directing one of those. And then Perlman, since she was her writing partner, she just kind of stepped off as well. But Perlman clarified on Twitter that it is not to rewrite everything they've already done is sticking. I think it's basically just maybe punching up dialogue stuff, uh, refining the story beats anymore. I don't think there's anything concerning about this. And uh, Robertson Dwart has done... She did the Tomb Raider reboot, and then yeah. she also has done the most recent draft of Gotham City Sirens, and then she also has a bunch of uh, projects that are on the blacklist, which are unmade scripts that are highly regarded in Hollywood and kind of waiting to be bought up and produced. So uh, it seems like she has all the talent, and if she is joining Captain Marvel, I think that can't be a bad thing. Yeah, I mean, especially the the Tomb Raider work is the most significant one, especially since that stars of strong female lead uh, with Alicia Vikander definitely seems like it could be adding maybe personal touches and a different per- or a, you know an exacting perspective mm-hmm. for Carl Danvers and Brie Larson to you know play out on screen so very cool yeah I, I'm, I'm very excited for it and we also uh, moving on to some Bond news talked about a couple weeks ago that Daniel Craig was probably going to be back for Bond 25, and he actually confirmed it to be the case this week on one of your favorite shows, The Late Show, Stephen mm-hmm. Colbert. He confirmed that he will be returning as 007 for Bond 25, and not only that, but that this will be most likely. It sounds like this is going to be his last film as yeah. the character, which he's going to go out after five movies. Seems like a good arc based on the way his uh, trajectory of the franchise has gone. It's been good, bad, good, bad, <laughs> which hopefully means we're going to end on a good note with uh, Daniel Craig because I think he deserves it. He's been a good Bond. But, you know, after seeing Logan Lucky, having seen what fun he has in that mm-hmm. role, uh, I, I definitely want to see him do other things outside of Bond moving yeah. forward. But for Bond 25, I think he's. I think it's great that he's coming back and with a chance to redeem himself after Spectre. Yeah, absolutely. I don't I mean, you know, I don't think it was really his... Spectre no. wasn't his fault uh, as much as he got stuck in a, a movie that tried to be more ambitious and um, more gut-wrenching than Skyfall was. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I totally t- don't put that on him which is you know which is also in that interview with on the late show um with Stephen colbert he did get asked like you know what's the deal with your whole uh i want to slip my wrists after you oh, know yeah. rather than do another bond thing and it is it is a really good interview to see craig just go beat red and be like well that, that was you know that was that was then this is now type of a deal um so it was funny to see him kind of <laughs> come to terms with that whole thing but yeah if this is Listen, I, I will lie. I would have rather have seen a different Bond, mainly Andrew Selba. But, yeah. you know, he's still phenomenal. His Skyfall performance is my favorite by far. Mm-hmm. And then just thinking of how good Casino Royale was. Um, if they can just combine those two and make sure, yeah, it, it goes out on an amazing note for Bond 25. Yeah. Um, good. Great. Awesome. Yeah, so now we they just need to find a director. We have we had the short list a couple weeks ago. So with him now on board, I'm guessing that means that they'll find a director pretty soon and nail everything down for Bond 25 to get going. So uh, we also have word this week 
Another update on Wonder Woman 2 and the directing negotiations that have been going on with Patty Jenkins with Deadline saying that they are in final negotiations now and that everything is looking like she will close her deal to direct Wonder Woman 2. And since that is not really that surprising, uh, it seems like the holdout uh, has been over the pay, obviously, because she, uh, as a first-time blockbuster director, doesn't, you know, you don't make quote unquote that much you still make you know a million to three million dollars yeah. most in normal cases but now with the sequel uh, is being reported that she could be the she could make the most money in a single film that any female director has ever made um and could eclipse the 10 million dollar mark so uh it'd be a very hefty payday for patty jenkins it's all deserved i i wanted i i don't want to see one room without patty jenkins back at the helm no definitely not um and you know if she she's I think she had does she act does she officially have DC's most successful domestic box office movie? Uh, I think I think so domestically. Yeah. I think BVS made like eight seventy eight sixty or something worldwide, um, and Wonder Woman crossed like the eight hundred million dollar mark this weekend, which is incredible because. Yeah. When you when you think BVS made like two fifty opening weekend or whatever it made it made two hundred at least, and mm-hmm. then. Wonder Woman makes half of that, and it's going to come up, you know, fifty million dollars shy at the worldwide box office. That is a testament to how great this movie is and the legs it's continued to have. So yeah, so, so I mean, you know, if one could maybe even argue her film was as as if not more important than Batman versus Superman oh, yeah. or anything like that. So and if her involvement, you know, continues to snowball over at DC, I, yeah, she absolutely deserves, you know, whatever whatever she asked for, whatever her agent can chalk up, you know. Uh so great for her and yeah, great for all of us, I think. Yeah, I think it is great for all of us. And hopefully uh when everything is said and done, this won't be just one of the the highest paid directing jobs for a female of all time but also be in the conversation for just she's going to be one of the highest paid directors of all mm-hmm. time sort of thing so yeah uh that's that it's great news but uh probably the biggest story of the week one we're probably gonna talk about for a little bit uh regarding the star wars universe and its potential third spin-off movie with the hard reporter reporting that oscar nominated director stephen daldry is in early talks to direct an obi-wan kenobi solo movie the film reportedly does not have a script yet, so if Daldry does indeed sign on, he will be helping oversee the writing department and work very closely to make sure that they refine the script and everything. But uh, if, for whatever reason, in this same report, they also said that they could not confirm whether or not Ewan McGregor was going to star, which seemed like an interesting <laughs> uh, reveal to me because it seemed like a no-brainer that if you're going to do Obi-Wan, you don't do it without... Ewan and Dodger's a great director. I'll get your thoughts in a second. But if Ewan doesn't do this, I'm not interested. Period. Period. But what if I told you Liam Neeson's coming back? Because okay. Obi Wan Kenobi is going to be young Obi Wan Kenobi, and we're going to get a look at the universe that we're going to look at the the actual heyday of the Jedi Knights. As young Obi Wan learns oh, from his Jedi master, Qui Gon Jinn. You think we're, we're gonna go like before the prequels? Oh yes, this will be the that that like that's legitimately what you think is happening. No, I don't okay. think that's what's <laughs> happening, but it could easily explain why McGregor's not on board right now. Well, if yeah, if that's the direction we're going, he can't do it because exactly. he can't play a fifteen-year-old 
yeah. Obi-Wan. Like that doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, that would be, that would be weird. It'd be weird. You wouldn't be like, Oh, this is totally it. I mean, I guess it would depend on who they cast, but I mean, okay. Liam's, you know, another extra 20 years older since last time we saw him. Like, that's true. It's been I mean, are, are you going to do de-age on him throughout the whole process and well, I mean, age him down? Or He has aged gracefully, so sure. he is not he – is, he's in a good position to play, you know, peak at the same age as he was in episode one or one or, you know, so – I I think it, I think that's that's a logistical concern that nobody's worried about. Right. But you know it could explain why. Uh, but I mean, if you if it's all just because of Qui Gon, Qui Gon could still be in a, an older Obi Wan movie. I mean, three ends with Yoda saying, "You need to go further in your training, of and course. I will help you." And there's somebody you know who right. is you know recently mastered you know how to live on after death. Yeah, and, commune with the other side. Yeah, and it's like. Okay, it's like if if they're doing this, you know, ten years after the end of three, I think they're going to show that whole thing, show Obi Wan training, uh, learning how to go further in the Force, have a Force Ghost Qui Gon there, maybe have Yoda show up for a little bit. You never know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know that we can we can get into the story stuff in a bit. Sure. Uh, but what about Daldry? If he is if he does sign on to direct, uh an Obi-Wan movie before the prequels or in between the prequels and the original, do you think is a good choice or yeah, what, what do you think? I think so. And in, in, uh, number one, I think of extremely loud and incredibly close first. It's a, it's, it's a little bit of like, I think you said before we started, I asked you what you'd thought of the film mm-hmm. and you said, it was a little hallmarky. Yeah. But it's, it's like, you know, um, surrogate father, son relationship type of a deal. Right. Yeah. Is he, is he not his actual father? Oh, is that, that's why I thought he wasn't. I thought he was just kind of like a. You thought you think uh, Tom Hanks isn't the kid's actual. Okay, never mind. I'm misremembering the movie. Okay. All right. Anyway, <laughs> I was like, I was like, maybe I missed a huge like swerve in that movie. Fathers. But. I'm probably mixing up like five other movies of the same genre. Uh, father and son movie. Young Obi Wan Kenobi <laughs> meeting, you know, um, Liam Neeson, his father Qui Gon Jinn. Or his father, equal taking him out as on as an apprentice, you know that relationship could totally work. Or maybe it's something vice versa with Obi Wan at that role, uh, played by Ian McGregor. You know, like you said, ten years after Episode Three. But yeah, no, Daldry also directed um, at the 2012 London Olympics. The dude knows how to handle stage performances and crafts, and I think he's also tied up in. Um, a lot of musicals and mm-hmm. he's set to do wicked yeah which is coming out mu- 2019 yeah the musical of all musicals yeah so uh you know yeah i told i if this guy was with with a script team behind him at lucasfilm he he could play ball with the big boys and yeah absolutely churn out you know a movie that seems to be paternally focused in some way okay that's interesting. Um, I mean, I, we did, we talked about this a little briefly before we started recording. Um, so I did mention, because I watched um, Billy Elliot mm-hmm. and Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close for the first time on Friday because I wanted to get some, some background on Dolgy before we talked about him. Because otherwise, how can I say whether or not he's a good fit? Because I, yeah. I, I don't know what his directing style is. But he is a very, he likes character-driven stuff, uh, which is what makes me believe it is the the Ewan McGregor the middle-aged Obi-Wan movie instead of a young Obi-Wan movie because I don't know after all the clamor for Ewan 
after all these years if mm-hmm. Lucasfilm's like, hey, we're going to do Obi-Wan, yeah. but it's going to start a 12-year-old <laughs> kid you don't know. It's like, wait, what? For sure. <laughs> like, people would not, I would not be happy with it. Okay. And I know, I'm sure, I don't know, I can't believe you'd be on board with it in all honesty, but. You, yeah, a lot of people are surprised with my standards turned out to be for <laughs> right? Star Wars films. That's true. Um, so, but yeah, I think if it is the the middle-aged Obi-Wan movie with starring Ewan McGregor, I think Dodge would be a good choice. Uh, he isn't. He isn't the flashy name because obviously mm-hmm. I I know I didn't even know who he was. I mean, he's been nominated for three Oscars, so obviously he's a talented guy. Uh, I've I didn't, you know, I was over the moon about Billy Elliot or Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close. I thought they were both really good movies um, based on really solid child performances. Um, but you know, at the end of the day, if if he is if he's brought on because Lucasfilm wants a character-driven Obi Wan movie, that's the Obi Wan movie I want to see the most is him furthering his training do like i mentioned a couple like i mentioned months ago probably that you know they should do like an old man kenobi style movie where it's it's him he's just kind of alone in the desert with his thoughts i don't need like darth maul to be the big bad or darth vader or mm-hmm. like, i don't need that kind of big villain i just want to see obi-wan see what he's see what he's been doing for 20 years in between his appearances like there, there's so much to play with. I know, like the comics and some novels have have started to dive into what he's been up to over those years. But uh, and then, like Rebels, they did the whole Obi Wan Darth Maul duel uh, again. Yeah, the Redux. So you you can't tell that story. You can't go up to that story. Uh, yeah, I think you got to go a little bit before. So maybe you do it eight years after Episode Three, and he's he's just starting to master you know further Jedi powers and. Uh, you know, I, I just want to see more about Obi-Wan, not, you know, him go on some galactic adventure or whatever. Yeah, you, you, the hard part is going to be what's your conflict on Tatooine right. if he becomes a hermit. So there's, there's yeah, there's, there's, there's things in that setup that don't make for a good Star Wars film. Mm-hmm. And that's why immediately my mind went to, well, if McGregor's not immediately attached to a film about an older Obi-Wan Kenobi... Uh, you know the 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 implications that they could just be going younger and mm-hmm. wanting to try to correct course correct some of the pre mistakes that a lot of people saw in the prequels with the Jedi Order and you know all the flash and thrills of curse on it heyday right so you I mean, imagine people watching a a movie where Obi Wan Kenobi is going through the Jedi trials in mm-hmm. the temple and you know and it ends with you know a a Liam Neeson cameo at the end and right. seeing Qui-Gon Jinn. So, you know, I, I don't think it's crazy. I don't. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't I don't know. But um, it's my idea, so of course I don't. Right, yeah. <laughs> uh, but just kind of furthering the discussion a little bit, you know, after we had, you know, Gareth Edwards from Godzilla, we had Phil Lord and Chris Miller on Han Solo. Until now, they brought in Ron Howard to take over after some directing conflicts and kind of the vision of Han Solo, but also they saw with Gareth Edwards that, uh, it, was, it, it didn't work for whatever mm-hmm. reason. We don't even know why, but he was like, okay, I'll play ball. I'll let you guys, you know, come in, rework my movie. It seems like Ryan Johnson is doing a really good job with eight and the jury's out on Colin Trevorrow. Nobody has any idea <laughs> really what he's going to do with episode nine or even if he, <laughs> if he'll stay on, I'm sure he'll stay on, but you know, people still think he could leave uh, or not leave that he would be replaced. Um, Okay, yeah, or oversighted to death. Right. Sure. So with Daldry coming in, a three-time Oscar nominee, uh, somebody who's been around for a while, knows how to work with, you know, actors, knows how to be a professional, isn't too, like, 
ambitious or isn't, I mean, not, not, not ambitious, but he doesn't have like this kind of like, okay, this is, it's my way or the highway kind of approach. He doesn't I, have his, you know, a dogma to his right. films that he believes. Okay. So do you think that this hiring, should it, should it be official and should it actually close? Do you think it shows a shift for Lucasfilm in hiring not those flashy names, not hiring a Taika Waititi or a James Gunn or a, or a Gareth Edwards or a Phil Oren, Chris Miller or mm-hmm. Ryan Johnson. They're like, all right, you know, we tried that. Didn't work the best. So we're just going to, you know, kind of fold back a little bit and take on some people who we know are going to work well with us and aren't going to deviate any plans or anything. Yeah. It's almost like they're picking up a, someone in like in the mold of Steven Spielberg. Like if you took the most sentimental parts of Steven Spielberg and turned right. them up to 10, which, you know, they're probably already at 10 right, yeah. cases, you know, that's kind of who they're picking. And in Kathleen um, Kennedy uh, has worked close with Spielberg across, you know, a, a ton of his films. So it wouldn't surprise me to see them, you know, kind of return to a more traditional filmmaker to put out, you know, their space epics. But if you want to keep your films current, up to date and you know have a modern edge to them you're going to have to pick somebody that's that has ideas you know and so you know i don't i don't think stephen daldry falls into the category of you know it falls entirely in the category of completely safe right but i i think he if this is an old obi-wan kenobi project i think he seems like a great fit and someone with professionalism and that can get the job done and get you a movie mm-hmm. you know other than that you'd have to like you'd have to go pick up james marigold you know so. right and yeah that's that's not it's not a bad thing if this is the direction they're going but i mean it's definitely you know instead of when it was announced phil and chris miller doing han solo that's like okay i don't need a han solo movie but phil and chris miller doing a star wars movie yeah. I'm, I'm all about that it's like okay Getting Obi Wan movie I've wanted, I think, and but who's Stephen Daldry? Like, yeah, what's a good point. what? What like it's not a you know I've heard like John Favreau as a suggestion for this movie. You know, James Mangold if they're going the old grizzled uh, kind of loner approach to it, and like Western atmosphere on exactly. Tatooine would be so good. Like there, there's some really like you know those flashy name grabbing like wow, you know for like you know people who because I, I I consider myself a pretty decent film fan mm-hmm. i haven't seen any daldry stuff so i can't imagine that the majority of people who are going to go see obi-wan kenobi a, a solo movie that they are going to know his work and you're not going to be able to throw up you know you can throw up oscar not from oscar nominated director stephen daldry but it you can't throw up from the director of iron man from the director of logan right. from the director of x big blockbuster franchise you all saw and loved right people's like from the director Billy Elliot, what exactly? Like, yeah, that's a good point. It, it just seems like a, a a very different approach that they're taking. Um, and we'll, we obviously, you know, if this deal falls through and they hire a big name, then this whole conversation's void. Like, it doesn't matter. Sure. But you know, as they continue moving forward, I think that's something to keep an eye on. If they are going, all right, let's get Ron Howard's and Stephen Daldry's, and let's not get those. You know, let's not get the Rick Famuyas of the world or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like. We'll we'll do the quote unquote safe guys, but we know they're going to do the movies we want, and we know we're going to make a billion dollars on it, regardless of the quality. So, um, before we move off Obi Wan completely, 
Do you have any like quick pitches you want to do for what you want to see in Obi Wan movie? I think, uh, yeah. Well, see, I, I'm not off the top of my gut, but it needs to be something that involves Luke keeping him safe in some way. Okay. So, like I said, like some kind of like Tatooine Western. It's the planet, that, or you know, most obviously spaceport is home to the. Oh shoot! What's the quote? You'll never find a more concentrated place of uh, scum and villainy. Right. Most likely a spaceport. So maybe something's going down in most likely that, you know, threatens the settlers, threatens Luke's life as a baby. And so maybe that's that's the route they go. Obi-Wan Kenobi's like one last ride. Mm-hmm. It, but like I said, though, it doesn't make for a great Star Wars movie because you need planet jumping. You need... Do uh, you know? Every Star Wars film so far has had yeah. multiple planets. I get, yeah, that get, yeah. I guess this gets into a different conversation. Of Absolutely. What do we want from Star Wars spinoffs and everything? But I'll uh, be a big question sometime soon. Yes, I think that's what we're going to do in a couple of weeks. Um, but my pitch, I would love to see maybe if it is. I want to see like I want. I just want to see a small Obi Wan centric movie. I don't. If you want to have allusions to Luke, fine. But I don't need like a little baby Luke run around or you know a shot every 10 minutes of him just like peering off in the distance making sure the skywalker home's fine like i don't i don't right. need that stuff uh just just give me an obi-wan movie i don't need like i said i don't need the big bad i don't need big lightsaber fights i don't want lightsaber fights or these big ones like if he has to fight somebody fine um maybe explain why he's just a crippling old slow man <laughs> come uh, a new hope sure but you know just just you know have Change it up a little bit. I guess that's the short way to put it. Uh, maybe like have it be where there's there's been like leaks of hey, you know, people have thought they've heard of this Kenobi guy wandering around. We thought we killed him with Order sixty six, mm-hmm. and Vader's like sends two guys out to go get him, and then it's it's those guys hunting him down, Kenobi on the run, and then having to defeat those guys. Just something something small like that. I don't need something huge. Um, but this isn't the only Star Wars spinoff we're going to get ever, obviously, because Lucasfilm and Disney want to keep this franchise going as long as they can. And buried in the news of you know the Obi-Wan movie was a couple of updates on projects Lucasfilm's also considering, uh, reportedly, with the Howard Reporter saying that Yoda and Boba Fett are both contenders to get uh, their own movies, and then Variety saying that Jabba the Hutt... <laughs> could get uh, a movie of his own as well so uh what do you what do you what do you think about these oh, three possibilities no, two of them are awful and one of them is okay okay is job the okay one that is the awful one that is one that i made a joke about like 12 months ago uh-huh. you know like concerning projected spin-off films you know and like when people were making fun of Rogue One for its, you know, too, its closeness to the other existing movies. Yeah. Um, and we're making fun of Han Solo for the same thing. It's like, well, you won't be laughing when <laughs> Jabba the Hutt 3 comes <laughs> right? out. And then sure enough, I, I, the Variety article is there. And for two days, actually, I thought it was a joke. Because I was seeing it from like AV Club or um, I think what website called The Playlist. I'm like, oh, it's satire. They're making fun of the Obi Wan movie now. Uh, yeah, I mean, Boba Fett has the most promise out of all of these because he's a beloved character mm-hmm. that never gets addressed other than um, his appearance in five, his death in six, and his backstory in two. 
and there's so much there to play with. You know, maybe merge the Boba Fett Jabba Hutt film. That would be something, but n- no one really cares about a Yoda film at all. Uh, yeah. And that's that's my two cents. That's I my think, five cents. Whatever. I think all three of these are bad ideas uh, on their own rights. I don't... If you... I know Lucasfilm's dying to keep bringing in people that we already know instead mm-hmm. of getting new characters uh, because that didn't work out well, you know, in like The Force Awakens because nobody likes Ray Finn or Poe or Kylo. And right. Nobody liked the original yeah. characters they made up for Rogue One. They just mm-hmm. loved Darth Vader, which was the best part of the movie. But, you know, the original characters they included in that movie were also pretty good. Uh, I think if you're going to... Don't make a Yoda standalone. Don't make a Boba Fett standalone. Don't make a... If you want to do a Bounty Hunters movie with Boba Fett in the background, I'm, I'm cool with that. Yeah. But I don't need... I don't want to know the complexities of Boba Fett and what it was like growing up after seeing your father decapitated. <laughs> like, just... I don't care. Yeah. Like, he's just... He's an unmasked Bounty Hunter. That's what he was in the original trilogy. Keep it that way the best you can. I don't need to know everything about his backstory, just like I don't need to know everything about Han Solo's backstory, which, you know, I was excited for Han Solo because it was Phil Lord, Chris Miller. It has a great cast, and Ron Howard's a great director, but I'm less interested in it now just because I don't think I needed it in the first place. Uh, and then, you know, Jabba, like, what could that movie even be? I mean, maybe you go, like, a mobster gangster route. And right. D, but that is completely against you know, the way Star Wars has this new regime has been building up the Star Wars brand. That is, you have to do something completely different if you're going to do a Jabba movie. And I don't think they have any interest in doing that. Honestly, who has the guts to make a, a hard, you can't do a PG, you can't do a PG or a light side PG 13 Jabba the Hutt film. He's like, if you, you've watched episode six recently, have you? That uh, is it's in the last year. Yeah. That is edgy sci-fi. Well, Andy doesn't speak English, so exactly. are you doing subtitles the whole movie? Like, Precisely. There's there's literally no way this would work. I don't see how Lucasfilm would greenlight it, so why are you even considering it, even if you're just, like, thrown out in a meeting pitch? Like, why are you even pitching that? Because it would never, ever get made. Mm-hmm. It's it's just, it's it's an idiotic, idiotic idea to have a Jabba the Hutt movie, and like, like you said, you know, put Jabba in the Han Solo movie if you want to keep Jabba mm-hmm. around put him in rebels or something uh you know Boba Fett and Jabba you could put both of them into the background of a bounty hunter movie where Jabba wants something he has a group of bounty hunters all right go get me this and then it's about five new bounty hunters we've never seen each on their own adventure to try to get whatever yeah and then none of them are doing it really well so then the third act Jabba hires Boba Fett he comes in to compete but he doesn't get it either yeah and then Yoda Put him in the Obi Wan movie for whatever. If he if it if they go the young route, yeah, he'd absolutely. be he'd be a Jedi master, a somebody who could mentor a very young Obi Wan. If they mm-hmm. go the old man route, he could travel to Tatooine and he could help you know mentor him and try to teach him about Force Ghosts and all that other Jedi stuff. Like you don't need to make these solo movies to keep these characters around, and they shouldn't be afraid to let these characters fade in the distance to a certain degree. Yeah. It almost feels like a um, like a marketing ploy. Oh, remember all of your favorite characters? Exactly. Every one of them a spinoff, and you know, eventually you're. It's just a bad idea. Yeah, it's like next we're gonna get a Darth Vader movie. Next mm-hmm. we're gonna get uh, a young Princess Leia movie where she's learning about you know being a rebel and all that stuff. Then we're gonna get a young Luke movie, <laughs> and then we're gonna get like just stop. I don't need like I don't need a young. Um, 
I don't know. I don't need a young Lando movie. It'd be cool if it right. was Donald Glover, but I don't need that. Give me something original instead. Um, but before we move on, I forgot to mention. I forgot to ask this in the Obi Wan discussion uh, portion. Because they're doing this, and they've they've basically announced that this is going to be the third anthology movie. Does that change any of your thoughts about will Obi Wan and the Kenobi lineage factor into this new trilogy at all? Because he, ha- Ewan McGregor came out to do his little voice part for Seven. Uh, Obi Wan was alluded to in Rogue One. Mm-hmm. There's obviously been you know rumors that Ewan will reprise his role in some way and be a Force ghost in Eight. And that you know, really, he is the grandfather to Ray. Uh, does any of that? Did your thoughts on that theory change now that this is going to be the next movie out after this trilogy ends? I don't know what to think of eight first. Right. And so anything, literally anything, is possible yeah. at this point. And to say to to say that. Right now would be me just taking an absolute stab in the dark because I need an opinion. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, like, I think this is a this is a great idea for the studio, the route for the studio to go, regardless of any connections in eight or nine. Yeah. But if he is making appearances in eight, if he is going to show up in nine or be talked about mm-hmm. all this time, you're absolutely creating synergy you're showing him off like hey here's obi-wan kenobi hey remember obi-wan wink wink yeah one two years later bam there he is Mm -hmm. and if it turns out that he does have family connections uh to our characters right now in this uh current trilogy yeah then that's gonna snowball Mm -hmm. right into it like hey come look at ray's dad back in his heyday when he met ray's mother you know or whatever the case is why'd obi-wan dumped her off in Jakku and then went to Tatooine. <laughs> I don't know, but all right, go, sure, go for it. But yeah, so it could be, it could be interesting. Yeah, what I don't think, thinking? I don't think it necessarily makes it like, oh, obvious, yep. Right. She's a Kenobi, but I do think it makes it that much more interesting because, you know, they did, they're doing the Han Solo movie a year and a half after Han Solo died. Mm-hmm. They're doing, and then, you know, maybe his funeral is, you know, discussed in eight, or I've heard the theory of what if Han Solo opens with Han Solo's funeral and then it's, um, you know, Lando kind of being like doing his speech and be like, I remember when I first met Han and then Ooh. flashback telling his origin. That'd be a cool way to do it too. So if they, if they, if Lucasfilm wants to keep everything connected, every, everybody related to somebody, then I think it makes sense that Ray would be a Kenobi more than Ray would be a Skywalker. And then since they're doing a Kenobi movie, you know, right after the trilogy ends, mm-hmm. I think it makes it an interesting possibility. And if I had to place a bet on who's Ray's parentage is, I would say she's a nobody. It doesn't matter. Yeah. She's a no name. But if I... But the second option would be she's Kenobi. Mm-hmm. So, uh, believe it or not, that is not even our big question of the week, despite uh, <laughs> spending uh, 20 minutes discussing and dissecting the spinoff news. But uh, our big question of the week is actually in regards to Batfleck and his family drama. 
uh, because Kayfley Affleck kind of made his brother's uh, world, I imagine, a little bit more hectic this week uh, by appearing <laughs> on WEEI Sports Radio, uh, a sports radio broadcast for the Red Sox, which obviously Casey is a Bostonian, so he's a big Red Sox fan. And I was at the game, talked to these guys, and they asked him about what he thought about you know his brother as Batman and if he's going to continue doing it. He said, quote, he was great. He's a hero, so he had something to channel and work with there, but he's not going to do that movie, I don't think. Sorry to say. Uh, then when there's the interviewer said, whoa, that's that's breaking news. Casey Affleck backtracked a little bit saying, is that breaking news? Because I was just kind of making that up. I don't know. Uh, which okay. his reps later clarified or you know, quote unquote clarified. They stated uh, to BuzzFeed that um, the official quote was, he was having fun with folks at the Red Sox game and not speaking from a place of firsthand knowledge. Then Ben's agents stated, quote, he'll continue to play Batman as long as the studio will have him. Which ultimately brings us to the question that we've been talking about since the very first day of this year. Mm-hmm. And we're going to put it to bed after this episode. We're not going to talk about Batfleck and his family drama or if he's going to even be Batman anymore after this episode. So we're going to get it all out there with our big question. Will Ben Affleck play Batman again after Justice League? Josh? Yes. No. Really? No. You think Matt Reeves will not have him on his project? Yes. And you are, out of 100%, you are... Oh, so obviously over fifty. Yeah, I would say I'm like eighty percent, maybe wow. maybe a little higher. Um, Even I, after his spokesman says, "Continue to be Batman as long as the studio will have him." Yes, because the studio may not want him. Exactly. That is that is not. I have I I I did I did a bunch of research this week about Ben Affleck and this whole you know craze that has happened this year because of. Just everything that's gone around with Batmite. So here's the here's a here's a condensed timeline of Batman Affleck stories that okay. have come out this year. So start of the year, we always got news that he wasn't directing, mm-hmm. and then you know people started wondering, oh well, if he's not directing, does that mean he's not going to play Batman anymore? John Campion at Collider starts a rumor uh, February 13th. Ben wants out. Then on the 23rd, when WB confirms that Matt Reeves will direct Batman. Uh, they also in the press after after they issued the press release that was did not have Ben Affleck's name attached. They said no, that was just we just left him out. Our we over we didn't think about it. He is going to be in the movie. Okay, fair enough. Then in May, uh, Charles Rovin, a producer over at WB, said, "Quote: I have every expectation that Ben and Matt are going to make a movie together." In June, Matt Reeves says when asked if. Ben is going to do the movie. He said, quote, yeah, right now, that's exactly what's going on for sure. Right now. Nothing definitive. Uh, Then THR, day before the Comic-Con panel, uh, says that WB and Ben are working on a plan to have a graceful exit for him. Mm Doesn't say when, doesn't say how, just that it's it's something that's in the works. Then uh, the next day at Comic-Con, Ben just kind of gives his love for Batman saying, quote, I'm the luckiest guy in the world. Batman is the effing coolest. Okay. You think Batman's cool? Nowhere did you say, yes, I'm definitively playing him for X amount of times. Uh, then he, he also went on to say, uh, quote, I'd love to do it as long as they'll have me. Eventually it will be somebody else and I'm sure they'll get somebody great. But while I'm doing it, I'm going to do the best job I can and really appreciate how lucky I am. Again, doesn't say, yes, I'm doing the Batman. Yes, I'm doing it 
past Justice League. Okay. Then this week, obviously, Casey Affleck says, uh, he's not doing it anymore. I'm pretty sure if anybody would know outside of Ben Affleck, whether or not Ben Affleck's going to do Batman, it would be his brother. Because A, they're, they are very close. They're very close. And B, if anybody knows how much this has really just been a burden on, on Ben Affleck, it would be his brother. So why would Casey just all just throw that line out there to make a joke about it or <laughs> cause well, all this further the, turmoil unless he did actually know you are, that Ben Affleck is not doing the Batman? All right. I'll start. Can I start with yes. this, this, this end here? First of all, you are familiar with Casey Affleck's public personality, right? Sure. He is, he is a good actor, but I don't think he is a great guy. And him, he he's an antagonist. That is his public persona. That's what he likes to play off, um, and that's how he pops up on you know the late the the talk show circuit. I mean that that was the bit he did when he visited Stephen Colbert that went viral. If you remember back in the day where he showed up and was just like really combative and mm-hmm. seemed so disinterested of the entire thing. Like that's him, and he's at a Sox game. You know, given a mic with a bunch of jocks, a radio jocks, and I'm sure he's going to say anything. And now the public cleanup was swift and it was unequivocal. And it, it does lend itself to being, oh, wow, that was that was really fast. That was really prepared. That was really professional. You know, like they made sure that they got that hammered out and, you know, out of the public space really quick. Mm-hmm. But also, that's their jobs. Yes. You know, clean it up and tell the truth. And now, I do believe there's something to be said about how everything is very in the moment, not long term. Mm -hmm. But also, those are accurate statements. Yeah. Uh, And reading past them um, and trying to glean uh, intentions from a high-paced, changing market, you know, where contracts haven't been inked out. The reason we don't see Chris Evans, you know, get talked about his role as Captain America all the time is because he, he inked a long-term deal. Mm-hmm. And so those movies were already assumed. Ben's was short-term when he stopped dying on. Time for your picture deal. Exactly. So as we move through it, people see the end versus when, Cap- when Chris Evans signed on. He did five. He signed six and has since extended it to yeah. do a- I think nine or right. so eight movies. I don't know. He's He's got a lot out there. Mm-hmm. But when Chris Evans said, you know, nothing lasts forever, which is absolutely true, nobody freaked because he had that contract, mm-hmm. you know, extended. So when Batman says, as long as the studio will have me without a contract signed, immediately there's black helicopters everywhere, <laughs> you know, just try, trying to, um, you know, find find the hidden source to this. And his Comic-Con statements, I thought, were, you know, exactly what you would expect from somebody that mm-hmm. loves the role or likes the role they're doing, loves the pay that he's getting. And even if Ben Affleck doesn't want to do this, he still does because his payday, especially playing public hardball, like it appears that he's mm-hmm. doing, uh, you know, all negotiating tactic. Okay. And he's... He's a he's a I think he's a smart guy, um, and he I knows what he's doing because he's he's not definitively saying either way what his future holds. Right. And 
with your Chris Evans comparison, I think the difference here is that Marvel hasn't announced that we're getting a Captain America 4 in 2020 mm-hmm. or 2021. We don't know what their plans are for Cap. He could die in, in Avengers 3 or Avengers 4. And that would be a that'd be a an end to his arc. It'd be fitting. It would it'd close a chapter. But Ben, we know they're making a Batman movie. And so that the question that is, will he be in that movie? If if he can't definitively say, yeah, I'm in that movie, why not? He's had every opportunity where people ask him, are you doing the Batman? Are you doing the Batman? He's like, and he, every time he just says, you know, I love playing the character. I'll do it if the studio will, will have me. Mm-hmm. Which, again, he's not putting... So either that means that they haven't signed a contract, which I would find very unlikely, uh, or that they are, and the, the Hollywood Reporter is, again, one of the trades, one of the closest, you know, uh, uh, you know, outlets out there compared to the studios, they're they're very close with them. I don't think that they would put out a BS story about, oh, you know, we heard from some guy who heard from some guy at a bar who heard from his sister who was with an exec the night before sure. that they're working on a deal. No, they heard this firsthand. Maybe WB even wanted them to get that out there. So that way, you know, in six months after Justice League, after Ben Affleck is in that movie and is either maybe he dies, maybe something I don't know what happens. Okay, sure. But it would it just there, there's not I have no confidence right now. They've given me no confidence to say definitively, yeah, he's gonna do it longer because they haven't said as much. And I don't think Affleck needs the Batman that much. No, but how much you know at a certain point you stop needing an X amount of, amount of money. But yeah. that never means people stop working. Right. That never means people quit. That never means people leave money at the mm-hmm. table when possible. Um, in June 21st, War WB responded to the Hollywood Report article, um, or July, not June, yeah. sorry, uh, that they were looking to drop him and said that Ben is our Batman. We love him as Batman. We want to keep him in the cowl as long as we can. That was them stating their intentions that we want Aflac around as much as possible. And Aflac is out there saying, I'll be around as long as the studio lets me. So they're both expressing mutual interest that we want to stay together. Mm -hmm. And that's that's the talk you hear when sports figures are negotiating their salaries and their... uh, All sorts of things. But I don't Um, think Ben Affleck is... I mean, the only thing is... You know, with Ben Affleck signing a three-picture deal, I don't believe his Suicide Squad cameo counted against no. one of those appearances because oh, that's that's a day or two of work for him. That that's nothing. So that means he still is under contract for another film, which would be the Batman. But if they want to do a trilogy of movies starring Batman and not have Batman die and then Dick Grayson replace him in the second movie or whatever then you have to extend that contract. So maybe this is all a contract thing. Maybe it's all, all right, we, we want to do three movies and which will keep you locked up as Batman, suiting up in the cowl every other year until 2025 or whatever. Mm-hmm. Ben Affleck, he's like in his late 40s, I think. He is... Mid, yeah, uh, 45. Yeah, mid, mid to late 40s. So that means he'd be playing Batman up until like his mid fifties, mm-hmm. which I do not anticipate happening. I don't think he wants to do that because then it takes if he has to be on these productions for six months plus do huge press tours globally, 
That takes a lot of time out of directing, which he loves doing. He's mm-hmm. very good at it, despite yeah. what uh, the other, the last movie he did that I already forgot, which was which was Lip, which Lip was fine. I had script problems. Loop yeah. by night, loop by night was fine, um, but I mean, it obviously, could have been better. It doesn't live up to Ben Affleck's previous standards as a director. Yeah. Um, but I just don't think he wants to do it for the long term, and I think WB has a long term future in mind with Batman. Because if you're just launching your universe, why would you want to get rid of Batman right from the start? So, if Flashpoint's coming out in 2020, and they're going to do Jeffrey Dean Morgan as Batman there, I don't think they're going to recast Jeffrey Dean Morgan as Bruce Wayne, but you could recast somebody. You could do something if because he's not going to be an Aquaman. That, that doesn't make any sense. Right. And then 2019 is Shazam. He could maybe show up there, but that would also be kind of an odd fit. And then Wonder Woman 2, which is going to be a period piece before mm-hmm. he's alive. So then if Flashpoint's 2020, you know, you go three years without Batman. Unless we have no idea how, when Matt Reeves wants to shoot his movie, when WB wants to do the movie or anything. So that's all. This is all just theorizing uh, based on the, the limited knowledge that we have as of their people scheduling. without inside knowledge. Yeah. So I just think that there are more signs pointing to no than there are signs pointing to yes. Yeah. There's that. Yeah. There's that one statement of both of WB saying we want him alone as long as we can, and Alex saying I'll, I'll do it as long as the studio wants me. But maybe the studio really only wants him. They don't want him anymore. I mean, if if THR is correct, which I I trust THR, then then they don't long term, and I think. Justice League, you could end it with him being alive and then just have a Batman hiatus for a year or two, do Flashpoint, recast him, do something else. Plus, they're not going to say before Justice League, hey, you know the Batman you're going to see in our big $200 million production that we want to make a $1.5 billion worldwide? Yeah, well, he's, he's not going to do it anymore. Because mm-hmm. then you just have a whole bunch of even more negativity towards Justice League. Uh, then it may already have. So, yeah, I think they're playing a waiting game, and you know, come December or this turn of twenty eighteen, we'll find out that Affleck's not doing it. I I think I mean listen, that's entirely possible and plausible. Mm-hmm. But I think it's I think it's almost Charlie Day. It's sunny in Philadelphia type you know, mapping out right, the yeah, problem, yeah. okay? You know, the meme that gets yeah, thrown Pepe around Silva, there, yeah, yeah. right? Uh, you, of course, Affleck loves to direct. And I think it's, I think it's his, I think it's his best talent mm-hmm. more than acting ever has been, yeah. uh, unequivocally. Um, I, I think about Argo, like on a daily basis, which is like a gold standard for turning true stories into drama. Mm-hmm. Um, but of course, if you want to make those movies, if you want to have a studio stand behind you for everything that you churn out, especially when you, when live by night wasn't that successful to box office and probably struck a loss. Um, you're going to have to do a deal with the devil Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways. And I think ultimately if Affleck wants Warner brothers to green light, everything that comes down the pipeline that he's happy with and, I think that playing Batman, being Batman, is going to be conditional, um, especially when the public breakup is, when the perceived public breakup is, 
you know, this transparent or seemingly mm-hmm. this transparent. Like the contract negotiations, the the um the the straw man like, you know, negotiating tactics that are playing out in the press, you know, or gossip rumors or whatever mm-hmm. the case may be. That if you wanna get that done, you have to, you know, make them fear you leaving in a bad way more than them being able to cast you off as, you know, a bad actor or a spoiled brat or whatever, the, you know, however they, they want to play it out. Mm-hmm. And then plus, I can't remember, cannot forget Aflac through all of this has been going through a protracted divorce. Because yes. I think, I don't even think him and Gardner have technically split yet. So all of that has been happening um, over top of him playing one of the biggest superheroes mm-hmm. right now um, on the planet. So all of that weighed, I, I, I think that once he goes comes through it all, he's he's Batman for another two films, three films. Hopefully, Matt Reeves an entire trilogy, mm-hmm. um, and then yeah, he spends his days, he spends his fifties directing anything at Warner Brothers, you know, and hopefully picking up another Oscar and you know stumbling mm-hmm. across uh, ideas that are as good as you know, um, not Gone Girl, but. No, he's he's starting. He's great in Gone Girl. Gone Girl. What was the other one? It's Gone, Gone Baby Gone. Yeah, Gone Baby Gone. Um, and Argo, mm-hmm. and you know, hopefully finding success with good ideas like Live by Night and things like that. But that, yeah, that's my take. Okay. Uh, is there anything I'm missing? Is there is there any pieces of evidence that you'd like to submit to the that, court? That's all to, the evidence I Josh. have. Okay. Um, but yeah, I, I think Josh. we, I like I said, we're not going to touch this topic anymore until WB <laughs> confirms as in like Batman's filming, mm-hmm. Ben Affleck is there, um, which we obviously won't. So, which means, you know, if there's any Batfleck rumors about him leaving or anything, we're not going to touch it until it's official either way, whether he stays or goes, this is the end of our Batfleck drama coverage. Uh, hopefully I, I, I want to be wrong. I want to be wrong uh, because I do really love him as Batman. I thought he was mm-hmm. a great Batman, great Bruce Wayne, but there's just, there's no signs pointing me towards yes right now. So do you want to put like a, a movie ticket plus concession stands wager on this? Yeah, I, I, I can definitely do that. Okay. Um, before let's think here. It's basically like a $20 bet. Okay. With a movie ticket that plus popcorn and drink or All right. whatever what are the terms here ben affleck returning for the batman directed by matt reeves if he appears in any large capacity post justice league right. so it's a starring role or it's even 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 anything post justice league really. okay if he if he appears post justice league i will buy you sure the next movie we review plus concessions got it if he leaves same thing happens, but okay. for me. Time, amount of screen time to count as a large role. Five minutes? Any Anything larger than like Suicide Squad, which okay. really in my mind, I don't think he's going to do anything unless he is in the beginning of Flashpoint mm-hmm. before the world changes. Yeah. And then when he comes back from, when Barry comes back from Flashpoint, then Ben Affleck's gone. Sure. Like I could see that happening. But other than that, I don't, I don't, I just don't think he's, he's going to do it anymore. Okay. So 
uh, we got a little wager. Yeah, <laughs> it could absolutely. be a couple of years before we know anything, but we're shaking hands right now. Yes, the hand has been choked. The invisible handshake, and so uh, begins Ben Affleck Batman moratorium. Yes. So uh, hopefully, yeah, we'll find out either way what uh, is going to happen with this. But like I said, I want to be wrong, but I don't. I don't think I am right now. So we'll see. Uh, we are not reviewing any movies next week because. We have Colton back once again. He is going to join us to do our top 10 most anticipated for the rest of 2017. Lots of superhero movies, or a couple superhero movies, essentially. Maybe a Star Wars movie, you never yep. know. Uh, any other ones you can think of that you maybe want to tease that can make your list? Um, a slew of Oscar films. One uh, A film I still haven't seen my trailer for Downsizing yet. It's a Matt Damon yeah. flick with Alec Baldwin and uh, a couple others that... Uh, sounds so funky that you know i think it could be fun um but that's that's all i've got so far yeah i think uh one i will tease it will probably be on my list will be american assassin i don't know where it's gonna place but every trailer i've seen for that movie looks really good i think could be a born for new generation um and i i think i I think it look it looks fun it looks like a good time i think it's r-rated so Mm -hmm. uh it should be violent and i'm a big don o'brien fan so that should be one that makes my list, and then I, I don't. I'm interested to see what kind of Oscar movies may get in there, or if they'll all just be honorable mentions or whatnot. So, especially when we haven't seen trailers, exactly. for, No, probably half of them at this point. Oh yeah, most of them. I mean, Molly's Game is like one of the first like Oscar-y movies I feel like I've seen a trailer for so far. So, uh, we'll have to wait and see. You, know, you guys will have to tune in next week to find out what our lists are exactly. I'll probably do a similar format that we did last week. So uh, something to look out for there. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, share, retweet, and more. Plus, over iTunes, give us a five-star review with comments. And if you do so in the next couple of weeks, uh, really, it's just first come, first serve at this point. Whoever gives us an extra review is going to get a prize pack of posters with Planet of the Apes, Guardians, Pirates 5. I'd think that's all, but maybe I'll find more and throw it your way. So if you want to leave us a review and get those posters, please do so, because it'd be greatly appreciated on our end. Um, but that's all we got. So during our time, we be sure to tell us everything you covered by joining us at Friends of Film. We receive updates on the podcast, movie news, and more. You can find me personally on Twitter at Coops underscore Hoops. And you can argue with me, Josh, at just Joshua Ryan. And thanks again for tuning in to the Friends of Film podcast, Josh. Thanks for stopping in, everyone. And be sure to return next week for our most anticipated list for the rest of 2017.